Hey, podcast family. Welcome to another episode of Motherhood in Black and White. My name is Kanji. I'm Tara. And we are popping in to this episode to discuss something that has been in the news for the last few weeks that has really had Tara and I talking offline. And so we said, listen, we should let others into the conversation. Let's not waste this good talk. Let's not. Let's get behind <laughs> the microphones and let's bring this conversation to our listening family. And let's talk about this new book and some of the conversation around it. The two-parent privilege. Mm-hmm. Are children from two-parent homes where the parents are married yes. more stable and more set up for success? Yes. Let's discuss. Let's discuss. And just so we don't get too far down the road and we don't cite this appropriately... We've read articles. I haven't read this, but Correct. it's a book that came out and it's called The Two-Parent Privilege, How Americans Stopped Getting Married and Started Falling Behind. And the author is Melissa Kearney. Yes. Yes. And so Miss Kearney has been on the the circuit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Promoting her book. There's been a lot of conversations and discussions and parenting forum about bringing this conversation. Like, is it valid? Yeah. Does she have good points? Does the decline in marriage increase inequality? Does the decline in marriage increase instability with children? And are children from two-parent households where there's a married couple at the helm, Mm -hmm. are they more inherently um, successful or set up for success? So I know Tara has some big feelings, (laughs) huge feelings on this issue. So so tell me, Tara, like, again, we haven't read the book. Right. um, Been a little busy with life. Correct. Yes. (laughs) New jobs and teenage children. Yes. And of course, traveling to all the concerts. Right. But but when you first heard about the book and you were reading some of the articles around it, tell me kind of what you think, Tara, and how your first reaction was. My first reaction is every article I've read seems to not just be about having two parents in the home, which I could feel a little bit more on board with, but specifically a married couple in the wording of traditional married couple comes up a lot. And I start to question it. I'm like, well, there are a lot of families that have two parents in the home that doesn't look like a traditional married relationship. And there's some, she specifically gets into, especially like needing a father or, you know, yeah. it just feels very pointed toward a very specific community that tends to, that people tend to put down and push away. And I don't know that it isn't very inclusive of all the different types of families that we see right. in today's world. Right. The traditional two-parent family with a traditional marriage, traditional Correct. values where there are roles that are assigned to right. a mother and a father. Yes. So so actually, let's break this down a bit, because I think there are two areas that we can kind of talk about. Mm. One is, does it need to be a two-parent family with traditional marriage? Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about traditional marriage and why that's not inclusive and why both you and I kind of disagree with that. Yep. Let, let's take a step back, though. Let's talk about the two-parent privilege. Yep. What are your thoughts? Do you think that children from a two-parent household, mm-hmm. children where there are two parents in the household are naturally set up for success and will be more successful than those who come from either a one-parent household or no-parent household. <laughs> I think that success comes from a lot of different factors. And so I don't know if I would use the word two-parent or two adults in the home leads to more success. I would say that having more adults in the home does create some privilege around more time, more energy, more income, 
some diverse thoughts, you know, as opposed to just hearing from one person all the time. Right. I do think that there's privilege there. I hate to just immediately attack that to automatic more success, although I'm sure it does trend that direction just due to some of that privilege. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. And I like the way that you said more adults in the house. Correct. So when I first heard about this book about the two parent privilege, I personally felt attacked. <laughs> right. Because I'm like, that's not me. That was not my upbringing or my childhood. Right. right? I grew up a child of a single parent. Mm -hmm. And I will say that I think I can attribute some of my success to the fact that at different phases of my life, I had um, more than one adult in the house, mm -hmm. right? I had stepfathers. Mm -hmm. And I also had seasons in my life where my mother, who was a single mom, lived with other women who were single mothers. Yes. And so we had that family unit look different because I had two women in the household and they were both raising their families. And so I had the ability and I had that diversity of thought. I had the other parent and I know that my mom was able to rely on her friends mm -hmm. to kind of help out with the economic situation. And I, again, I was a child, so not privy to understanding exactly why they combined households. But I do know from conversations that I've had during adulthood that a part of it was it was easier financially yeah. in California. You know, they were able to afford rent and be able to afford groceries when they were able to combine households. And for us, it was fun because we were just growing up with our cousins. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I personally am like, I don't see that necessarily not having the traditional or two parent household negatively impacted me. Mm. But also it's, is that because of who I am? Right. Right. That's the nuance part of it. Yeah. I'm like, cause I'm similar. I, I grew up, my parents were divorced in early childhood. And while I had adults in the house, there wasn't a lot of support. Right. So yeah. in and out, I had support. But I had aunts that like picked me up and took me places and made sure I got to have different experiences. And I had teachers that showed up for me and made sure I was supported and provided some of that background. So again, I don't know, man, it's it's hard. There's just nuance to it. And so I don't doubt that there is data that supports something that says these kids all grew up with was single and they're like lower on the line. I'd like to see the line. Like, yeah, even if they're just less successful, but still successful, like, does that, you know what I mean? Like I, the data, it's tough. There's nuance. Yeah. There, and there's so many factors that are going to weigh into and contribute to a child's success. And again, what are we using to define success? Mm, that's you know, a great question. Um, if we look at it and both of us grew up not of two parent households mm -hmm. and with support from other, other adults places. Mm -hmm. in places in our lives. Yeah. Right. What is interesting and where we can kind of weigh into this conversation is both of us have sons that are being raised in two parent mm -hmm. homes that are the result of traditional marriage family. True. And so in this part, when I look at how I'm parenting, mm -hmm. there are some things that I see in his upbringing are different. And I would argue maybe a little bit better than what I had. And what that might look like is there is that economic stability that comes from a two-parent home. Yeah. There is the ability for the things that I can teach him, that I'm able to teach him, and then also things that his father can teach him, that his father can show him. And is that a privilege? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if a child is growing up in a two-parent home that doesn't look like that, or a right. two-adult home that doesn't look like that, that's not a penalty. Right. So I don't think that we should say privilege versus penalty. It just looks different. Correct. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't want any child or any person that's on this journey to think 
that there's something that may be less than or different or worse by the way they're doing this journey. Yeah. You know, one of the articles I read about this specifically, she says something, the author says something to that effect, like that her intention is not blaming or shaming. Mm -hmm. It's just to show the data and speak to what is the top of the chain or whatever. It's just such a sensitive subject. Mm -hmm. It is so hard to not feel like, because I know single parents out there that are killing themselves to make sure their kids have everything other kids have. And I feel sensitive to any indication that no matter how hard they go or how hard they try, their kids are always going to be behind. I just can't stand for that. Yeah. (laughs) And you just said to make sure they have what other kids have. I really think that we need to get away from this and I don't know if it's an Americanized way of viewing the world that success, it is tied to financial success mm-hmm, yeah. or career success, mm-hmm. right? And it's hard to say that when we sit in it, but we live, well, we used to live in this very similar community till you left me. Um, but <laughs> we never we, let that go. <laughs> I'm never, listen, just like Rose and Jack, I'm never going <laughs> to let go. But she said that. And then like two seconds later, let go. Let go. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear. <laughs> Just to be very clear. We are. We digress. We, yeah, we, we digress all the time with movie references. Shout out to the Titanic reference. <laughs> I was going to keep going down the Titanic road, but I'm going to stop. Coming um, back. I'm going to come back here. But in the area we live in, in North Texas, it is it's somewhat affluent. And what I kind of have to caution myself about is I see these kids that are growing up in economic privilege Mm -hmm. and it is a far cry from how I grew up right same borderline poverty kind of like my entire upbringing but I see what my son is experiencing and the kids around him that have the things Mm -hmm. and think that the way to success is by getting the things. And sometimes the parents are giving the children the things mm. instead of giving the children the tools mm. to to be resilient adults, thinking that having an iPhone 15 is going to be a better substitute than having your parent at the football game right. or having your parent come to the debate tournament. And so I think that we need to do a better job of understanding familially and communally about like, what does it look like to have a successful child? Mm. And what does success in adulthood necessarily look like? Well, and you and I have had that conversation before, but I think you and I both buck against the traditional views of success, you know, watching us both in our careers and our journeys, trying to be more aligned with our passions as opposed to aligned with our bank account, right? Mm -hmm. I think we both have made those kind of decisions. And personally with Gage, I have, you know, had to adjust my views of success because I did grow up in that thought process of like, and I think you might agree. I think you maybe got it worse than I did. Like success means straight A's, college, straight A's in college, a career that a lawyer, doctor, tax attorney, you know, those kind of things. So that's successful. And with Gage, I have to check myself a lot on those old ideas and be like, you know, I'd much rather you were kind and I'd much rather you were happy and I'd much rather you just did your very best at whatever it is that you like to do and whatever that looks like, that's successful. So it's a hard thing to unlearn because our generation, you and I, came up in a very different 
way. With two parents or not. It was like, yeah, regardless of your scenario. Right. Success means this and you better figure out how to get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, no, I, I agree. I agree. And one of the things that I have spent this journey, I will say not just in this podcast, but um, probably the last five or seven years when I was realizing that I'm near midlife and mm. now I'm kind of turning that corner. It's like, what do I need to be happy? Right. And a few weeks ago, I bought this book because the author had an introduction or foreword by Oprah Winfrey. The book was titled um, Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier. Mm. And just like uh, Melissa Kearney in her book, The Two-Parent Privilege, tries to use data. Like mm-hmm. This is data-informed decisions about um, why the two-parent privilege exists and why marriage. So the book about the art and science of getting happier, it's its talking about like what it is that we can do to attain happierness, mm. right? Not happy happiness. Earth. Yeah. Like happiness isn't the goal. Yeah. It's how you can just be happier in the things that you're doing. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I was really dialing in here because I was thinking like, okay, Kanji, if we think about what 1985 Kanji mm-hmm. wanted to be, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. what, when we were asking ourselves, when we were playing with our Easy bake ovens, Mm -hmm. like what we wanted to have when we grew up, Mm -hmm. what we wanted to be, Mm -hmm. what was going to make us happy Mm -hmm. when we grew up. If I can reflect on that little girl and like, oh my goodness, so many of the things that I thought I wanted, I achieved, I attained, I checked those boxes. How come it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. successful to me? Mm -hmm. And so working through with my therapist, it was like, okay, it's not about checking the boxes and hitting these targets and having these things. Mm -hmm which unfortunately I think people are doing so much of. Yeah. It's about enjoying the part of the journey that you're on and reflecting on every day, like how I can just be a little bit better and happier. And how do we not tie that to financial status? Yeah. Or comparing it, the comparison to others. Correct. You know, bringing it back to the book we were discussing originally, I haven't looked at the numbers, but when I look at the data points mentioned in some of the articles, they do seem very tied to financial success, whether or not those children also get married, tied to there's some data around incarceration and trouble with the law, which here or there. And then there's some data around whether they have kids and then college. And I'm like, okay, well, if those are the things we're tying to success, those aren't the only things, right? right? And so I do think that this all starts from a place of, we made a decision a really long time ago of what it looks like. And we're still trying to force this two parent white picket fence success story on everybody. Right. I'm like, that's just not the story. The husband and the it's, wife. It's yeah. Not the story. Like the cleavers. Yeah. Two and a half kids. Never worked for me. No, never. Well, and, and I think that that's a point that's not touched on in the book or even in a lot of the conversations. So we talk about the two parent privilege. What we also don't talk about are other privileges that we really need to focus on Mm -hmm. when we think about how we are raising kids and whether or not that's going to shape their future or shape a success. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about the two parents. It's also about the dimensions of folks' identity Mm -hmm. and how those are reflected or supported in society, right? We talk two-parent privilege. We also need to talk about the wealth privilege that is in many ways attributed to the gender privilege, right? Um, We also talk about ethnic privilege and, again, the privilege of traditional marriage. Yes, The fact that those individuals that are in a traditional husband-wife marriage are given more access and are given more support in general in society does that necessarily 
create a privilege. Yes. Right. The fact that we as a society are going to allow or permit certain things of and give um, benefits to people who come from that traditional, traditional male marriage and um, traditional marriage. marriage model, whereas other people that aren't there you know, you might have to then live in secrecy or in silence or fighting for those rights and what that does to a human every single day to feel like you were constantly in a struggle for survival because of your identity. Yeah. And then the people in your household, how it makes them feel. That's part of the thing that gets left out of the data, which is if there is a discrepancy in where these kids fall on some trending line, that it probably has less to do with whether or not they have a mom and a dad married in their home and much more to do with the discrepancies and inequality of people who are not in that traditional family structure and what they're fighting with every day. Right. And it has nothing to do with if they have two parents that are married in the home. It has everything to do with the economic discrepancies and healthcare discrepancies yep. and property tax and school district discrepancies, mm -hmm. educational resources. resources. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I think that what we need to do and where I hope we land is in a place where we focus on creating policies to, to address those inequalities that mm. you were just talking about rather than trying to kind of push people into this box yeah. by saying, oh, this is the way it worked 50 years ago with the cleaver. So this is the way <laughs> it needs right. to work now, rather than saying, these are things that aren't working. Mm. And this is the reality of the world that we live in. What can we do to address these inequalities um, rather than saying, oh, well, you know, it's better for people that are this way. So mm. more people should do it this way. Mm -hmm. Right. Stop trying to push people into the box. Mm -hmm. Let's let people realize that we are all living um, in this world where there are inequalities and we need to focus on what we can do to make it so that the children that are in this society can all have equal opportunities to be successful and thrive, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I was thinking when I was, what was running through my mind as you were laying that out, which is beautiful, it's just like, instead of trying to dangle a carrot to get people to where you want them and then helping them like let's meet them where they are yeah and let's support them where they are at uh, it starts to make me really angry <laughs> oh well we can't have that happen so we don't want to make tara angry so what we need to do is think about things that make tara happier we're gonna think about things that make the happierness in tara yeah. So speaking of happier, yes. um, one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording this episode and previously we've alluded to the fact that we're both Gen Xers mm -hmm. and we've mentioned Raised by wolves. Yes. <laughs> we have mentioned, you know, like generally our age, we're kind of 40 somethings. I am going to be very vulnerable. I'm finding my vulnerable voice here now, Tara, and I'm mm -hmm. going to share with everyone that I am. Mm -hmm. At the edge of my 40s, and I'm about to turn 50. Mm -hmm. So as a part of my journey, as I'm moving towards happierness, my bucket list of the things that I want to accomplish before I turn 50. And in addition to some concerts that we're going on together, we are also preparing and planning for a 50th birthday girls trip. Yes, ma'am. So what I would love to hear from our podcast family, you know, reach out to us on social media, share with us some ideas or things that you all think that we can do to celebrate the 50th birthday, but I'm excited because we are planning this and it's going to be so fun. Yes, it is. The only thing that could be better. And the one thing that I definitely want for my 50th birthday, and we'll see if it happens, okay. is an in-sync reunion concert. Oh my God, please, please, please. <sighs> so just to be clear, our birthdays are very close to one another. We're Gemini twins. 
And your birthday ends in a zero this coming year and mine ends in a five. So we're like, right on. We're like feeling it like fives and O's. We're doing it big. And in sync. that is the only reason you need. Just do it. I know. Just do it and do it in Vegas. And I'm already there. Let's go. Like it needs to be in Vegas. You will fly. I will go wherever I need to go. Wherever, That's wherever. Right. The limit does not exist. That's the concert privilege. <laughs> That's right. It is a concert privilege. It's something that we have. But Again, we digress all the time. But what I wanted to say is before we wrap up the episode, I hope that we are able to, as a society, have these conversations where we're not leaning into just the data, Mm -hmm. but we're really taking time to listen to the real world experiences of people. Mm -hmm. Because what happens often is when we lean into the data, we discount the human condition and the human experience. Families aren't about numbers. Mm children aren't about statistics. It's about the flexibility of listening and learning and really understanding that there is no one size fits all for a family. It's about making space for every family to exist and to be seen. And unfortunately, sometimes what happens is when we create conversations or we create conditions where we elevate one type of family as a model, those that don't look that way, the children that don't come from families that emulate that, they shrink. And I don't ever want that to happen. I want every child, I want every family to be as big and bold as they can possibly be. I can't say anything beside outside of that. That's beautiful. I will, before we wrap, I do want to point out that Kanji not only was vulnerable today, but she said, as she was discussing with her therapist, and I'm so proud. I think that's the first time you've ever said that on the podcast. And I say it all the time. (laughs) I'm so, so proud. You've grown on me. You've grown on me. And this is why we keep you around. I love it. Yeah. And again, for me, it's it's what I need and, and it helps. Good. It really does help. So thank you for that. And again, thank you for just always using your vulnerable voice. I've learned so much from you. <laughs> My younger and wiser friend. Same, same. Obi-Wan. Yeah. And we'll see about that. But um, thank you, podcast family, for tuning in for another episode of Motherhood and Black and White. Tara and I will be back soon with another episode as we continue these conversations. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all of the listening platforms and reach out. If you just want to say, hey, you all have our Instagram handles in the show notes. With that being said, we are going to sign off this episode. Be good to yourself. Be good to your families and your friends and take good care podcast family.